Yo, 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 what is up everybody? How are you? What is good? Welcome to the first episode of the Second Firstborn Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Williams, with my co-host, the lovely, the beautiful, Cora Knowles. Hello. Hello. <laughs> ah, man. Um. So yes, we are now a partnership because I felt the way we were going and the chemistry we had on our very first podcast was enough for me to not want to do this by myself anymore. Um, I always found it, found it more difficult to, well, not necessarily difficult, but it was different for me to do everything on my own. But like when I have somebody to bounce my ideas off of, things seem to be that much more easier when it comes to putting out content for a podcast so why not do it with someone who is as beautiful as her and who has a lot to say so so everybody gets to know you a little bit more tell us a little bit about yourself um i'm cora hi cora hi stephan i am 29 um i've been in jacksonville area for a year and a half now I'm originally from California, and I have three little small childrens at home. I have twins, and then I also have my oldest daughter, um, and I like psychology. That's why she's on the show, <laughs> because she likes psychology. Um, all right. So, yes, we revamped this podcast. The podcast formerly known as Petty Time with Wavy Will. I'm no longer going by Wavy Will. Her idea. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Mama named me Clay. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Clay. Mama named me Stefan. So, I'm gonna go by Stefan. Thank you so much for that change. The Will was really killing me. Stefan just sounds more, you know. I've had you put your whole shoulders <laughs> back like that, like yeah. That's more, you know. Stefan, like a like strong black name. Very much. All right, so um, we're gonna get right into this today. Um, yeah. So the first topic that we're gonna be talking about today is mental health issues in the African American community. I know that's kind of a heavy topic, but I mean it's something that we need to talk about because. <laughs> It's a problem. There's there's always these these um, stereotypes about people being, you know, you shouldn't. Oh, like you don't look like you have anything wrong with you. Like, why do you think that you're like have mental health issues? So I feel like today, with us talking about it, we can shed some light on why there is such a big thing about you know mental health issues in the black community. What do you think? I think that it's definitely a generational issue. I think that because our ancestors, even up until this last generation, were so conditioned to just dealing and never um, speaking up about the things that were going on internally, that that's the reason why mental health is like on the very, very bottom of the totem pole 
in comparison to all the other things that could happen to you that could make you sick. So, um, and then also, I feel like the medical industry definitely has made our ancestors very weary of going to seek help for mental health issues. I I think, too, like, when you were talking briefly about how a lot of it stemmed from, like, us growing up, um, like, I always remember, like, uh, stop that crying before I give you something to cry about type deal. Mm -hmm. So, like, knowing that as a child, like, if you're being told to suck it up, then, like, you grow up being told to suck it up, suck it up, everything you gotta suck it up, suck it up. Mm -hmm. But then you don't necessarily know how to vet your emotions mm-hmm. and to speak about what is actually going on in your life because all your childhood you were being told to suck it up mm-hmm. and I feel like if we, we can't necessarily blame or fault our parents because some parents <clears throat> weren't ready to have children to begin with you know they did what they felt was natural they had kids and they raised us the best way that they could raise us so that that in itself was probably the problem, but yeah, but I feel like you got to change the narrative with that because it's not that we can't blame them because I know for me, I'm blaming mine, <laughs> but what I will extend is some grace, right? Because I have now as an adult been able to process not only my trauma and my pain and my experience, but theirs as well and understanding how their experiences created what is my narrative today so i'm not gonna negate the fact that those things occurred but i have forgiveness in my heart and i have understanding because i recognize that you can only you know do what you know you can only operate from the level that you're on and unfortunately our parents didn't have a lot of the same tools that we have today they didn't have the same mind frame that we have today um the social aspect of it wasn't the same either so they did what they could. I think it's too because they didn't have anybody to teach them that the same way either. Mm-hmm. That's why I said it goes back generations. Generations. Ongoing. It's it's such a heavy thing to even like think about because like yes, now today in twenty twenty or the new age, like we do have all the tools. But even still having all the tools it's can, hard to tap in still. It's it's hard to tap into and we can still get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And people will still end up turning out some different way, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like impossible to like, you know, say that, hey, if you treat your child this way, they're going to be successful in life. Or if you treat them this way, they're not going to be successful in life and they're going to end up here or there. However, like, we have to do these things in in love and not just like the word love itself but the actual true action. definition and actions of love because if you just say well like i'm doing this because it, it's gonna hurt it's gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you type of mentality it's it's that's not gonna work anymore so i feel like we need to indeed change the narrative because However, we were taught and we're still holding on to those things are the reason why there are so many health issues today. Yeah, I think going back to what you were saying in the beginning is very true that up until now, and maybe even still now, I don't know how other people operate with their children, but 
the narrative is very much so that with boys or men that they can't express emotion so then they turn into adults who have no emotional intelligence and then for girls who turn into women I feel like we're very much so taught to be strong so it's okay for us to cry it's okay for us to show some emotion as long as you get over it really quickly right and I think that even within my own parenting I've had to really channel that because my child is so emotional all the time and I'd be looking like, dog, you got to pull it together sometimes. Like, everything is not worthy of tears. And then I have to remind myself, like, no, that's not fair because these are her feelings. So validate them, even if they don't make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying my best to, like, remind myself that it is okay to not always be in a strong mind frame. It's okay to sometimes break down. It's okay to say you're not okay. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And it's necessary as well. It's definitely necessary and okay to cry. Even as adults, children, Mm -hmm. it is okay to cry. Mm -hmm. Because you just can't keep that bottled up inside of you. Because that's the emotion, whether positive or negative. Like Eventually it's going to come out. I think another thing that goes hand in hand with our parents teaching us not to express ourselves is that we also were very much so taught that like, advocating for yourself as a kid is frowned upon so I think that that makes a huge difference like of course I'm not going to show any sadness or any anger because I'm not allowed to even feel anything about the things that are happening to me I'm just supposed to deal with them because I'm a child right stay in a child's place right I don't operate like that either my children are learning at three and six years old how to advocate for themselves. And it is tough because the people that are around them know that I am raising strong-willed children who know how to use their throat chakra. And it gets crazy sometimes because even for myself, I've had to be laid out by my six-year-old and it doesn't feel great. But I'm glad that I'm teaching her these things now because when she becomes a teenager and then an adult, not only will she be able to communicate with me effectively, but she'll be able to do it with other people. I think it's also important that we don't we don't shun kids for speaking how they really feel. Mm-hmm. So like it's it's one thing to say that okay, well you can voice your opinion, but it's another thing to actually sit down and listen to them when they actually Need do voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. So like you can't just say you can't just say I'm I'm here to talk to you. Whenever they do try to talk to you, you're upset. You're upset. You get up. You. Oh, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I don't want to talk about it type mm-hmm. of deal. And then eventually, if you keep telling a child this, they will stop coming to you mm-hmm. because they know that, oh, well, mommy's tired, so I don't want to talk to her. Mm-hmm. I can't talk to her now. Or mommy's been having a, a hard day or dad's been doing this, so I can't I can't go talk to him now because like they're already feeling a certain type of way. So mm-hmm. why should I even open up and talk to them at all? And that's one of the big things that I try to work on with my oldest is because she is an empath and she definitely likes to take on everybody in the household's feelings. And I often have to tell her, it's okay, you can come and talk to me. Even if I am having a bad day, even if I look like I'm frustrated, I'm your mom. And my job is to respond when you need me. So even if you feel like you're bothering me, you have to bother me. That's what you have to do. And I have to listen to you, even if I'm 
tired of you walking down the hallway when it's bedtime five times in a row. Or even if I'm just trying to use the bathroom for the first time all day and you pick that moment to come and talk to me, that's just what I got to do. And I've been trying to like get her to understand that that's not her responsibility to be concerned about whether or not I'm stressed out or whether or not I'm having a bad day. I appreciate the fact that you've recognized that I may be a little overwhelmed, but you're a child and I want for you to worry about kid things and me and my stressors are not one of them. Don't internalize that. Speaking of listening, do you think that when um, it doesn't necessarily have to be African-American men and women, do you think that when people go to the, the hospitals that or the medical facilities that they're being truly heard by the authorities there at the hospitals? Or? Absolutely not. I think that the medical industry is just that. It's an industry. And so it's a business. It's a business, yeah. and they are there to make money. So the second that they hear any um, trigger words that might get them cashed out a little bit more, they're going to latch on to that. And so it's unfortunate, and that's why I want to get my license to do therapy because I feel very much so like today's society, they don't welcome people to go and get the help that they need because we feel like another number, because we feel like when we're going in, all you hear is, oh, I'm sad, oh, I have this issue, and then you're immediately resulting to, here's some medicine. Hmm. And that's not how you treat people. You have to deal with what's going on on the inside, the emotion, right, the emotional layer of it before you can handle the medical aspect of it because they go hand in hand. If anybody has ever, you know, done foundational psychology coursework, you know that everything that goes on with the body is an emotional and physical reaction. When mm-hmm. I'm sad, it makes me sleepy. When I'm mm-hmm. angry, it makes me tired. When I have anxiety, you know what I mean? Like all of these emotions mm-hmm. have a physical outcome. Right. So for them to just go and prescribe medicine f- to people without truly knowing what's going on with them frustrates me more than anything. I think I probably should have had my mom on this episode because my mom, she's... She's like the basic, she's basically the head psychiatric nurse in all of the northern Jacksonville, San Augustine, Ponte Vedra area. So like, like her being able to like, and she's a traveling nurse too. So I think we need more traveling nurses to go to people's houses, to go sit down and not just prescribe the medicine, but to sit down and actually get a feeling for who they are. Mm-hmm and why they are experiencing what they're experiencing. So that way, when there is medicine that they need to have, they know what is the problem and which medicines go with this and which medicines go with that Mm -hmm. for their emotions. So that way there's no fatal side effects. Mm -hmm. Because there's always going to be some type of side effects with medicine, depending on the person's mood. Mm -hmm. So if you prescribe them this when they're a little bit moody or angry, it's going to cause them to be either more angry or it's going to calm them down. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel that we need more people to go into people's houses and sit down with them to try to get to the bottom of what's going on with them inside rather than just, okay, let me cash out on this real quick. And that's why I was just talking to my best friend about this a couple of weeks ago that when I finally do, like, 
get to the point where I can open a business, I don't want to have a regular office for people to come into. I want to do something different to where people don't have to seek me out because I feel like that's another problem with mental health is that anytime you say you want a counselor or a therapist, then all of a sudden it's like, going through the freaking yellow pages, you know, trying to find a therapist. It's not as easy. Not just trying to find a therapist, trying to find the right the therapist. The right therapist. Yeah. And so I feel like finding a good therapist should be as easy as finding something good to eat today. I shouldn't have to go through hell and high water in order to find the right person for me. So I very much so want to have an abstract way of presenting myself to people and giving them the help that they need outside of an office setting. So, like, in a sense, you know how, like, it's basically kind of like the food industry. Like, whenever you're hungry, you know, you don't necessarily have the food come to you. You actually go and search for the food. But you want it to be the opposite way. You want it to be to where, like, you're offering this to everybody, but yet you're not hard to find when you need it. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's kind of like that. It's kind of dope. Thank you. Um, how do you think that, like, the mental health issues affect the people around, uh, somebody who is, um, affected by mental health? Very much so affects them. I mean, I'm only going to speak about my experiences, or at least I'm going to try. And I just feel very much so, like, at my worst moments, thank goodness I didn't have any children. Because the next time that it happened again, I did have kids. And even my baby, I feel like, was able to feel that energy and feel the disconnect. And it made it difficult for me to bond with her, for me to just get up and do my daily tasks as a mom. Um, Even when it comes to dealing with my best friends, I mean, I've had the same best friends for going on a decade now. And they will be like, girl, I haven't talked to you in seven days. Like, where are you at? When I'm when I'm typically the type who calls every day, multiple times a day. Or, you know, even just having short conversation and not really being engaged. Those are not my typical traits. And me going through my depressive spirals has affected my friendships really, really tough because I've almost lost friendships over me going through a hard time and expecting everybody to come to my rescue and expecting everybody to stop what they're doing to inquire about what's going on with me without realizing that they too could be and were going through their own individual things. So I feel like, you know, it, it affects everybody, even my coping mechanisms. I mean, when I was in my last relationship, I didn't even recognize until it was too late that my way of dealing with my depression was to go out and shop or go out and eat. So I was constantly leaving the house all the time, all the time, all the time. Whether I had to take the kids or whether I was by myself or with a friend, I was always leaving the house because I didn't realize that being at home was the trigger. Being at home with him was the trigger. And feeling that disconnect there between us. So every five minutes I was like, oh, I got to go to the grocery store. Oh, I got to go here. I got to go buy somebody a t-shirt. Oh, somebody's missing a sock. I'll just go get another one. And it's like those toxic habits that I was creating for myself ended up rubbing off on him and then we got into it because he was like yo you're never home or 
they're spending so much money on bullcrap. What's going on? And I, again, wasn't aware that this was even really that big of a problem. So I was looking at him like, well, hell, you don't want to spend time with me. So what's wrong with me leaving the house? So now that I'm by myself and I don't have anybody to answer to, I it's even more challenging because now when I have triggers and I'm like, oh, my God, I want to leave the house. I just want to go spend some money. I have to evaluate myself because now I'm like, you have nobody to blame it on. So like I, a lot of my mental health issues stem from growing up and feeling like I was abandoned. Um, I don't necessarily talk about it a lot because it's kind of kind of heavy to talk about. And plus, growing up, I was always told to like you know, stay in a child's place, all this other stuff. So, me myself, I just necessarily kept to myself like I was always one of those types that would keep to myself anyway but like as I grew older it was just easier for me to continue to keep to myself so even when I need help like my mom can definitely tell you that I won't necessarily ask for help until I absolutely need help at the last moment because I just feel like i even as a child, I I didn't know how to necessarily ask for help. Like, I knew I could ask for help, but, like, I felt that it was frowned upon for me to ask for help. Um, knowing who my parents were or when things were good, you know, I, I was, I was just, I was just there. I didn't, I didn't necessarily know anything different besides a child should be heard and not seen. Or seen and not heard. I said that backwards. Um, but I don't know. Even as an adult, I, I never wanted to really reach out and ask for help because I felt that it was it was frowned upon to, to even ask for help. As crazy as that may sound, I mean that that was that's the that's the narrative nowadays that, you know, you can ask for help whenever you want to ask for help, but there's not too many people that will be willing to help. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, one, you already feel weird for asking for help. Two, you don't know who to ask help from. And three, you don't know that when you ask for help, you're going to actually get the help that you need from the person that you're asking help from. So I feel like if we're, if we're going to change the narrative, we need to make sure that those three things are, are heard. And available for people who who need help. Um, and once we do that, then I I believe that more people will start coming out and saying that they need help, and they know that they can feel comfortable enough to ask for help, find the help that they deserve, and be heard when they're asking for help. I think that I definitely agree, and I feel like number one, you have to learn to advocate for yourself. And when I say advocate for yourself, it's not even like an outward thing. Like within yourself, recognize that you have to make sure that you keep people in your life who are good for you and who have your best interest at heart. And I know that sounds cliche and, you know, such a typical thing to do. But especially once you get into your adult years, having people around who 
will hold you accountable for your own happiness is very important. And I feel like it goes hand in hand with being able to have that support support system of people that you feel comfortable enough to go to. Because if you don't advocate for yourself within yourself to say, this person doesn't look like somebody that I can trust, you have to do that first. Because they're not going to eliminate themselves. And then once you have made the decision of who's going to be in your immediate circle, I feel like further the conversation has to be made that what is my what what is what is my way of like seeking support like i know with my best friend and i we often say how can i support you because a lot of times my version of support might not be what you need mm-hmm. so instead of me just putting my love on you mm-hmm. how do you need me to love you right now right. and i feel like that's only a question that people who genuinely care about you will ask Everybody else will just start putting things on you like, oh, well, I'm doing this to help you. And it's like, well, that's not really helping me. That's not how I want to be helped. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, question. <clears throat> Do you feel like there are stereotypes of the African-American male or female that they're portrayed to be too strong or too tough in today's society? Absolutely. I feel like they always want for us to be stronger than we are and tougher than we are. And it's exhausting. I mean, my God, I can't tell you how many times my own father has been like, this is the life you chose and you don't get to cry. You don't get to be upset. You chose to have these children. You chose to leave your marriage. You, 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 you. And it's like, those things are facts. Yes. None of my kids are accidents. My marriage wasn't an accident and me leaving it wasn't an accident. I didn't just stumble on any of this shit. But that's not to say that I don't deserve to be emotional or feel anything. Mm -hmm. Because I remember one time last year I came to him and I was so frustrated and I was just like, I don't understand why I can't just have a dad who's like willing to just take me and my kids in. And he called me back several days later because he's a Scorpio. He has to think everything through before he responds. But um, (laughs) he called me back several days later and his feelings were hurt because he was just like, you have a dad here who loves you and who cares about you. And I was like, dad, you literally are also the same person who just told me that I don't get to cry over the fact that I'm a single mom, that I don't get to be angry over the fact that I haven't had, or at that time, I hadn't had a day to myself in months. Like you're also the same person who's keeping up these toxic narratives that I should just deal. So for you to be upset and act like, you know, you're just my savior out here. It's not true. Do you think it's also to a a narrative that we should just toughen up when it comes to mental uh, mental health issues and like basically get over it and mm-hmm. okay, well, I have mental health issues. Too. Like I feel like people like try to put their own wants and needs or experiences on you and think that because they got over it that mm-hmm. you too should get over it. Mm-hmm. They don't recognize that everybody's not going to be high-functioning. Yeah, everybody's not equipped the same way. Mm-mm. Because, I mean, I know a little bit about what some of my friends have gone through with their depressive spirals. And now looking back, I'm like, yo, you were really high-functioning. Because <laughs> if that would have happened to me, I would have been 
up out of here and vice versa they look at me all right i'm ahead out right (laughs) and they look at me with some of the things that i've gone through and they're like yo you really did that like you came out of that so everybody's not going to be high functioning there are going to be so many people who they just got to lay in the bed and deal with it that way they just have to you know find whatever their coping mechanism is going to be but that's okay to figure out your own coping mechanism Mm -hmm. but there also too has to be an open venue to seek help and to receive help when a person needs help but i think that That also i think also (laughs) that a lot of people do not have an action plan how many people do you know who have finally come to terms with the fact that they may have some mental health issues and then they just are like okay i think that i'm depressed they have no action plan. They have no real solution as to how they're going to get any better. And I think that that goes right back to the fact that, like, it is still frowned upon to even have mental health issues to begin with. So now when people feel like they're experiencing them, they have no idea what to do with that information. I think I don't I don't believe this is all the time, but I believe that some people empathize by like trying to make somebody feel that they're going through some experiences the same mm-hmm. like oh you're depressed well like well i'm depressed too mm-hmm. but like i don't i don't feel that it's all that i don't want to say not too genuine because i don't necessarily know what everybody's going through but at the same time like we try to get people to get over themselves and how they're feeling by telling them that we're going through this too. Mm-hmm. And we may not at all be depressed when we know somebody else who is actually depressed mm-hmm. or chronically depressed or, you know, medically like has, has a prescription that says that they are depressed. But like we too want to just say like, hey, mm-hmm. I have depression too. Mm-hmm. I understand how you feel. But like, I don't think that people really do understand one person's depression versus their own depression. Mm-hmm. That could be very accurate. Yeah. I mean, people build trauma bonds all the time. Wanting trauma bonds. I said trauma bonds. Oh, I thought you said trauma bonds. <laughs> I was about to bonds. say bonds. B O N D S. It just simply means that, like, okay, Stefan. It just simply means that, like, you are tied to this person, connected to this person based off of pain pain experiences we're going to sit here and mope all day together we're going to talk about our grievances together we're going to cry together we're going to be sad together we're going to be angry together and i used to operate like that i think i had a few people who i was bonded to in trauma and it takes a lot of energy to break those bonds because for me a lot of my depression was um repetition like I was so used to waking up and calling a certain person or doing a certain thing so when I stopped doing those things it made the depression worse it was like oh my god now I can't call this person anymore or I can't talk to this person about that anymore I can't go here and do this anymore so it made my depression worse and so it's very difficult to break trauma bonds but it's very necessary because 
If you don't recognize that that's what it is, you think that it's love. You think that this is just a relationship. And it's not even about a romantic one. This could be a friend. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, this person loves me so much. This person cares about me. And it's like, they may. But this is so much about them as it is you. I think think people naturally gravitate to other people who have similar experiences, good, bad, or negative, or like indifferent as them. So like, say for instance, if if I was raised to be a pastor's kid, and I met another pastor's kid, we would naturally gravitate to each other because we both have similar upbringings. Mm-hmm. Or if you were, if you, I don't know, like, it's a touchy subject too. But like, if you yourself was molested and you found somebody else who, who um who was molested as well, you guys can, like... Share experiences. Like, share experiences, yes. Mm -hmm. And, like, empathize and be able to understand, like, that I, too, felt what you felt at one point in time. Mm -hmm. And I can understand how you're kind of feeling right now. I may not totally be able to know everything that you feel, but, like, I understand. But those people... I feel like those people are there for a certain chapter in time in your life. And then, like you were saying, with the trauma bonds, not pawns, with the trauma bonds, it too needs to come to an end Mm -hmm. for the trauma. Like, I'm not saying the friendship has to be over or the relationship has to be over. But that shared experience, you have to start to move past it. You have to get over it and you have to get past it. You don't have to forget it, Mm -hmm. but you just have to get through it and past it. Mm -hmm. Without looking back and moving forward. Mm-hmm. That sounded real positive. Anyways, um, I think we also need to normalize um, mental health um, treatment alternatives. And not just like, oh, well, I'm depressed. Let me get this, um, you know, this Ritalin or let me get this Vicodin or whatever. They're pres- I don't know if those are actually prescriptions for so don't at me about, <laughs> hey, well, that's not what you like. Relax, guy. This is my show. I do what I want. Anyways, um, but like, what do you think are some positive alternative treatments to mental health issues? Again, I'm only going to speak for myself. Mm-hmm. But in my six years of dealing with really bad depressive spirals, I feel like the number one biggest thing that I've learned is that a lot of depression in particular comes from or is a response of feeling out of control. I feel very much so that when you feel out of control of your life, whatever it is, it sends you into a spiral. And you're either breaking your brain in order to get to that thing, and when it doesn't happen you get sad or you finally are able to do it and then it's not enough. And so you're continuing to like spiral, finding the next thing to make you feel better. So I just feel like if more people recognized what it is in their life that they want to change and what they want to control, it could be your love life. It could be your health. It could be your finances. It could be relationships with your family members it could be whatever 
your job, all these things could be stressors. How do you change them? Because once, or at least for me, once I started to recognize what it was that was making me feel out of control, Mm -hmm. and then I made an action plan, okay, I got to fix this right now. I did. I felt less depressive. That's number one. Get in control of your life. Number two would be, going back to what I was saying earlier, that every emotion has a physical medical response. So if people really spent more time recognizing their sleeping patterns, their eating patterns, their drinking patterns, um, all of the negative coping mechanisms that we have like smoking or drinking or having sex or shopping you know how those things affect you and how you can get control over that I feel like that would make a huge difference I know for me when I started to just pay attention to the fact that when I ate certain things that was my coping mechanism right I would go get fast food so I would be sitting there eating my burger and fries that made me feel worse. Eating those things and the toxicity in it made my depression worse. So it was like once I realized that my nutrition had a lot to do with my mental health, waking up every day wasn't as difficult to make a decision to eat right. Because I knew, okay, if I go and just binge on Starbucks and Chick-fil-A today, I'm probably going to feel even more like shit than I already do. It's going to be tasty at the time, but... At the time. Yeah. But it's going to probably make me feel even more like shit. And then um, taking your vitamins. You know, these are typical, easy things that people know, but they don't do them. You know, drinking your water every day. So, like, me, myself... I I can't recall taking vitamins since. That's a problem. Since I was a child. That's a problem because they have research to prove that some mental health issues, particularly depression, we have a commonality of like mineral deficiencies. Yes. So I'm not saying it's going to cure you or it's going to make everything in your life better. Right. But I'm saying that Amongst people who are depressive, mm-hmm. we have that commonality that nine times out of ten, you're deficient in multiple minerals. different minerals and vitamins. Wow. Yes. I just learned something today, guys. Where's my applause button? Oh, my bad, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we got applause from the audience. You know what I'm saying? We got stuff going on. Um I don't know. I just never, I felt that even when I was in the army, um, I felt that, you know, just keeping it inside was probably the best, which hindsight is twenty twenty. looking back at it, it definitely didn't help. But like, I, I could have found other ways to vet my frustration and my, my mental health, because just as just as important as actual health is, mental health is equally as important. And mm-hmm. I don't feel that I got the actual mental health help that I needed. Mm-hmm. And that happens every day, all day in the military. It's disgusting. It's and egregious. one of the reasons why 
you know, I go back and forth with myself all the time about joining once I get done with my undergrad because I very much so feel like after having my experience of being a military spouse that it's crazy how they just do not pour enough money and resources into making sure that these people have what they need because, I mean, like I said, even just on a nutritional level, making sure that folks when they're on deployment or living in the barracks have meals that are nutritional you know what I mean making sure that they're not just living off of alcohol and cigarettes or a bag of freaking chips out of the vending machine actually feeding these people things that are going to make them wake up in the morning and feel worthy and feel strong enough to do their job and then of course being able to have somebody to talk to but I feel like how many people in the military go to talk to somebody and they're like, oh, you know, that's typical military stuff. Like, no big deal. You'll get over it. You know? Just be used to it by now. Yeah. Like, that's not what we want to hear when we're seeking help. Right. At all. Or even the fact that they are so willing to prescribe medicine for any and everything. You could be like, yo, my hair is not growing, and they're going to start prescribing hey, medicine. Hey, let me prescribe you this Vicodin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you could be like, yo, this pimple is actually tearing my skin up, and they're going to be like, I have a pill for that. I got some ibuprofen for that. So that Shout out to the 800 milligrams. It drives me insane, and I hate that it's not talked about because it's the military, and nobody wants to say anything negative, but... Those folks need help. They need real-life help. Speaking of medicine, do you think that, um, not just African-Americans, but do you think that we need to stay away from modern medicine? Mm, I don't like how you worded that because I don't want to give an answer and then everybody is like, oh, my God, you oh said. God. Yeah, because I'm not People a doctor. you like, whoa. Like, <laughs> I'm not a doctor, right. and I don't want everybody to go off of their medicines Okay, tonight, so in but... your opinion... For me and my household, for me and my household, I do not rely on modern medicine for most things. So what is it that you do rely on? I rely on nutrition. If I just have to be crunchy for a few more minutes, that's what I rely on. I heavily believe that any and every physical ailment that you could have from depression to erectile dysfunction, it has to do with what you're putting in your body. And this is just your personal this opinion. This is my not personal like... opinion. I, I'm, listen, I am not a doctor, hey. and I'm not going to pretend like I not am. Not with that attitude, you're not. <laughs> but <laughs> I just very much so feel that way, you know, and I have tested it on myself. I've tested it on my children, and I very much so just feel like, again, the doctor is an industry. They want to get paid, so therefore they are going to say and do whatever they need to do in order for the money to come in. And I feel like if people would step outside of that and do a little bit of research and test things, they would recognize that you don't need medicine for everything. There are plenty of things that you can heal your body of naturally. You have to care enough to eat right. You have to care enough to stop drinking and smoking. You have to care enough to move your body and exercise. You have to care enough about your vitamin levels you just have to care about these things and if you don't then you will succumb to the pressure of taking everyday medicine and I was one of those for quite some time taking medicine day in and day out like my mind was bad because it was and now that I know better I do better and I don't use medication for anything 
So it's interesting. It's very interesting. I was just telling you the other day about the woman that I follow on Instagram. Oh yeah, yeah. Very, very helpful. I mean, that woman literally goes down from head to toe. She'll be like, "Oh, if your eyebrows are not growing, this is probably what you need to pay attention to." Well, plug her uh, Instagram so we can all go follow her. At I her will. Own I will. Um, you know, she talks a lot about being able to look at your eyes and tell what's going on with your body. Looking mm-hmm. at your tongue, looking at your lip color, looking at, um, you know the color of your fingernails, like so many different things. There are so many things that are a direct correlation to your internal health. Right. Um, we're going to do a little segue. Um, let's talk about the double standard of men who don't work versus women who don't work. Mm. How do you feel about that? It's unfortunate. <laughs> Number one, it's unfortunate because I do recognize that women often are caretakers and, you know. So women are seen as the caretakers. Still. And the men are seen as the providers and the protectors of the family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there tend to be in society's eyes a lot of women who are just cruising through and when men do those same things it's frowned upon i get that but um you'd have to elaborate a little bit further on the ways that they come into these things so like what happened to this man for him to not be employed what if what if he just what if he got laid off just because he was the last to get hired and then there was job cuts and maybe he was a felon for, you know, not paying his speeding tickets or he didn't have insurance on his car for a long enough time. And he had to go to jail for that. And everywhere he goes ever since he is looked at like a felon because he has a criminal record. And he is not able to get a job, but he is out there pounding the pavement, <clears throat> pounding the pavement to try and get a job. But nobody is hiring him because of his background. That's tough. My father went through that, mm-hmm. but he is very blessed to have um, made a success story out of his life because he has been home for. Uh, 10 years, 11 years now. Several um, business years. Right. And he has been able to stay on his feet this entire time. But when he first came home, it was very difficult. And I remember several months watching him go through the hoopla of trying to find a job and keep a job. And it is definitely difficult. I think that <clears throat> if I have to be biased, that even though it is frowned upon, And as a society, they expect men to be providers. I feel like the sympathy is there a lot more when they cannot. Mm -hmm. People are more willing to hear your story. Like, oh, well, what happened to you? Compared to women, I feel like when women are without or when women are struggling, the immediate response is, oh, well, you had all these children. Or, oh, 
you don't try or, oh, you know, you don't care about a career or whatever. I feel like we often have to go and figure it out alone and we have to seek out these these resources with no guidance and no help compared to when men are experiencing that. Like, for instance, I feel like when women have to go back home to their parents, it'd be tough. Mm-hmm. Parents do not be wanting us to come home. But when a man is like, oh, I fell on hard times. I need to go stay with my parent for however long. They'd be disappointed, but you're going to be all right. I feel like it's not always that way for us. But I feel, I I feel like... um. I feel like there is definitely a double standard because sometimes it may not be the case all the time. I feel like when a man has to go home to their parents, they're considered lazy. They, they're they considered, oh, you don't want to go out and get a job, a uh, man that doesn't work, doesn't eat type narrative. And then it's like you feel like you're being talked about by the people who you're trying to be helped by at the same time causing even more mental health issues Mm -hmm. so it's like how do i how do i deal with this without you know like i'm i'm looking for a job i'm looking for a job i want to work Mm -hmm. i want to be a provider i want to be a protector of my household and not have to depend on my parents but right now i need to depend on my parents Mm -hmm. but it's like why do i have to have this standard that like because I'm not out there with this career versus a job mm-hmm. that everything's frowned upon. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. And the same too with women. It's just like, oh, well, you sh- maybe you should have closed your legs instead of having all these children. And maybe mm-hmm. you would have been able to have, go out there and get a job. So it's like either way you slice it up, it it's still mental health issues. Because, I mean, to expect a woman or a man to not, feel that when their when their own family says that to them it destroys them on the inside and it's just like well like not even my own family believe in me like they're gonna let me stay here but there's a condition to me staying here Mm -hmm. i have to meet these expectations in order to stay here or i have to be out by a certain date Mm -hmm. i think that that's a cultural thing yeah and i would love for people to comment and say if that's their experience because Mm -hmm. I very much so feel like it's a cultural thing I think as Americans and as black people in particular that that is how it goes for us I feel like other ethnicities they don't deal with that nearly as much Hispanic folks will stay with their families forever and a day Asian cultures will stay with their families for forever and a day I don't know about European cultures, but I just feel very much so that, like, in America, it is the absolute uh, norm for you to push your child out the house at 18, 17, if you're lucky, and that's the end of your parenting. And I feel very much so that if we were able to start over and recognize that that's a toxic trait Mm -hmm. as a parent that our children wouldn't have as many of these issues because I feel like the pressure is there from day one. I mean, I'm sure we can all attest to the fact that, like, when I went to high school, it was immediately badgered into me. You need to be working to go to college. You need to be preparing for college, 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 college. 
And then when I got to college, I wasn't prepared. Right. So I left after yeah. my first year. And I was so riddled by that experience that it took me five years before I ever decided to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And so I just think to myself all the time that had that not been my parents way of like trying to get me to be a good person or do better. And maybe if their outlook would have been more about just me getting to know me and me being a responsible adult, whatever that is, that I wouldn't have taken the paths that I took. Right. You know, like I very much so felt like I had to meet all these expectations at 18 years old. So when I didn't meet those expectations, they were looking like, yo, I thought you was doing this. And I'm like, I cannot. As my son would say. I cannot. <laughs> um, do you think that... Hmm, excuse me. Do you think that some women get a pass on living off of Section 8 and unemployment while not going to look for a job, while men who are actually going out to look for a job don't get a pass? No. I don't feel that way. Okay. Not in today's society. I feel like today is a little more even. I don't feel like there's just a you know, crazy wild amount of women who are just ain't shit out here. You know what I mean? Nor do I feel like that's the narrative for men either. I feel right. like across the board, we're all trying. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the event that you are one of those people who is just living off the system... Okay, but I don't feel like that's the norm anymore, you know? Okay, um, so do you think that when it comes to children that custody battles in the court are fair? That's also really a tough question. Only because... <laughs> only because like, the, the reason why I say that is because um, more time, more often than not, you see the women winning custody of the children. There are a few single dads that have have won, but you see more times than not that it's the women who win the custody over the children. I feel like a lot of men give up. Mm. That's what I'm going to say. I feel like a lot of men see a woman capable of raising children alone, mm. so they don't fight for their children. And it's not even about capability anymore. It's not about the courts thinking that the mother is a better fit. It's simply, you didn't go after your children. You let this happen. I feel like if more men stepped up and were angry in the courthouse and wanted their child with them, that you would hear more often about men winning custody battles. But I feel very much so like, it's always been that women have to take on all the physical responsibility of the child. And so, you know, I know people personally who they have switched the narrative and the father takes care of the children and it is fine. It is great, actually. And I don't feel like there should be so much stigma around it because Another thing is I feel like going back to trying to be strong all the time, us women feel like we don't have an option but to try to just take on all the responsibility. Had we not been raised to feel like it was solely our job to raise our children and if a man leaves you, it's still only your job, 
then maybe more women will want to fight their person over custody. But a lot of times we feel or I feel like the men are not as capable. If you were exhibiting all of the characteristics of a, of a good parent, a fit parent, I would have no problem. Let's, let's please share the custody. But I feel like, unfortunately, still, men are so wrapped up in providing that that's the extent of their parenting. I don't feel like that's changed a whole lot. I want to say this, and <clears throat> I don't want anybody to come at me because I'm going to say what I have to say regardless. Um, I am not sticking up for no deadbeat dad, no ain't shit nigga. Or a mother. Or a mother. I'm not sticking up for none of y'all. When it comes to custody battles for the children, the children need to be at the forefront of anything. And if you can't, if you, everybody can say, uh, well, if you can't sit there and take care of your responsibilities, you shouldn't have did it in the first place. Whatever. What happened, happened. It's done and it's over with. If you can't be man enough or woman enough to put yourself aside and put the children first, then what are you really doing? And um, I think that you have to also be capable of calling yourself out on your shit and being able to say, without pride and ego, mm-hmm. I can't do this. I think also, too, like... Because that makes me the most angry, is when I see parents, male or female, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and say especially women, right, who know that they cannot, and they are forcing... Enforcing and forcing and forcing because the narrative is, oh, you're a mom, you got to take care of these kids. Dog, if you're struggling and you cannot physically, financially, emotionally, this is too much, please Say let that. those kids go. Yes. I think, I think too, like, in, in my situation with, with my oldest daughter's mom, if I can even call her that, um, I feel like me personally, I couldn't sit here and drag them through litigation only to find out that one, she may not be my child or two, that like I may not even still win custody of her if I did drag her through litigation. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it's like, I feel like some men, it's not for everybody. Some men feel that, you know, I will be wrong for dragging them through this to not be ready to step up and be the father. Mm -hmm. And it's also frowned upon for them to even think that because they're like, well, this is your responsibility. Yes, it's my responsibility. And yes, I have to step up. But what if there, there should be no excuse, but what if you're incapable of stepping up and providing and being a protector of a household and doing what's best for the child, then what? I think for me that it depends on what your definition of incapable is because Mm -hmm. I think, especially with us talking a lot about mental health issues, that if that's something that you suffer with, okay. If it's finances that you suffer with, okay. But to me, I feel like there always is a resolution. I feel like you have to seek that out. You have to have an action plan. I feel like regardless of whatever your issue is that makes you feel like you're incapable, maybe you are temporarily. 
But I feel like real parents who are serious about their kids, they will work tirelessly to put themselves back in a position to where they can handle their responsibility. If I ever came on desperate hard times to the point where I couldn't afford to feed my children or put clothes on their back or have a nice place for them to live, I would absolutely let them go and live with their father full time. But that wouldn't be my escape. That wouldn't be my hall pass to just go and kick it for a year. I would have to let myself and my children and their father know that every day and every step of the way, I am working towards getting custody of my kids back. And I feel like, unfortunately, that's what happens. It's like if you start out without the custody, you hardly ever hear stories about people who regain their custody later because they just don't have the drive. Right. You need that child there in order to push you. Mm -hmm. Because even in my situation now, I have to go and look for a new job now. And I have to figure out, you know, my financial situation so that I can be or continue to be stable for the next coming year. And it's just like, I don't get to take a break, you know? Yeah, I don't, no days off. No, I don't get to. I have, I have my kids here with me day in and day out and all of their wants and demands and needs mm -hmm. right here in my face. And that keeps me motivated every day that I feel like, oh, I don't feel like applying for jobs tonight. But that's funny because all your kids is fixing to need new clothes in another 60 days. Yeah. Or, oh, I don't feel like, you know, getting up and going to do whatever, a job interview. Or, oh, I don't really want to work at that place. But that's funny because your child is fixing to need daycare. So these bills ain't going to stop. They don't. And I feel like, again, if people were forced to be in the face of their responsibility like that, then they would have they would have to rise, you know? Okay. So another switching topic. How do you feel about these celebrity divorce settlements? Yikes. Like the Dr. Dre divorce settlement or the Jeff Bezos divorce settlement. I think that my conclusion after further research <laughs> is simply that it really does cost less to just 86 the whole shit. I really feel bad for people who <laughs> decide to be in these long-term relationships and don't think about the freaking consequences. And I feel very passionately that um, marriages are great, but they are a contract. They are a business. They are... Mm, you know, they, they are that. And so I say all that to say that, listen, that woman had been in that relationship for a really long time. Which woman? Um, both of them. Okay. Both of them have been in those relationships since the 90s. And I feel like people are forgetting the fact that when you are in a marriage, it gets petty, especially when shit's about to end. And unfortunately... Sometimes, a lot of the time, you got to pay people for their pain and suffering. It's not always all about how much do you need for a place to live or how much do you need for school for the kids or food. A lot of times it's, man, you just tripped out and played over my whole life and now I want reparations. Sometimes it's... <laughs> reparations. <laughs> Sometimes it's that, you know, you were a serial cheater and now I got to just run your pockets because you tried me 
I feel very much so like if y'all don't want the smoke, then you need to just go ahead and, you know, be in a long term boyfriend and girlfriend scenario. But but what if what if like I'm I'm maybe I am p- playing a little bit devil's adv- advocate here, but like what if they just fell out of love? Like they weren't doing the same things they used to. They weren't necessarily cheating, but like they still were coming home every night to their wife or their spouse and things just weren't the way they were like what then like i still feel like that's pain and suffrage because i was one on whose end i was one of those people who was in a long-term relationship where it was nothing but you know just discord Mm -hmm. for no reason you know it was no big dramatic drawn out things that happened it was just small shit that accumulated over the years and i feel like again don't get into a marriage if you don't want to work if you're capable of going years and years and years just being complacent and being quiet about the shit that bothers you and being passive, you're making a mistake off top. But what then if there is a prenup involved? Do you still feel that, like, me, my, me myself... Are. If you signed a prenup, then you signed a prenup. See, me, myself, like, say, for instance, you and I got married, right? And I hit it big and I got stupid rich. Like, I would... Ne- Even if you did sign a prenup, I would still feel that it's my obligation to, like, no matter how things split, like, I got to break you off. Because mm-hmm. you were there with me when I had nothing. So, like, I can't expect you to go back to having nothing if you were with me when I had nothing and we came up together. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on because you held me down. Out of respect. So, it's just, it's, it's principle that, like, I help you out. Like, we can no longer be in love, mm-hmm. but I'm going to still have love for you enough to make sure that you're taken care of. And that's how more people need to approach marriage. Because I feel very strongly that folks just are out here like, oh, well, I'm not with you no more, so fuck you. No. no. Especially not when you've been together for such a long amount of time. Especially not when you have children between each other. Like You I've, have to care. I feel like I've treated people so much better than they've treated me. And I could never do the things that they've done to me back to them. Mm-hmm. I don't care how much we fell out. Mm-hmm. Like, if any of it's my exes respect. called me up, and some of them have called me up, I feel like I would be there for them. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, we're not going to go back to what we was doing before I was, while we were to- together. But if you genuinely need my help, regardless of who you were in my past, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to try and do my best to help you out because I may not love you in the same capacity that I loved you before, but I still got love for you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That doesn't mean that, oh, I haven't given myself completely to my new relationship. No, that just means that that's the way I love. Like, that's how much love I have for the people who I call my friends because I don't have too many of those F words. I have a bunch of acquaintances and a bunch of people who should have just been left in the past. However, I'm still not going to treat them the way they treated me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect dude because, like, I've treated some women, some people like shit. But that's my truth to tell. But I still feel like I can go back to them and tell them that this is what I did and this is how I messed up. But I'm not ever going to make you feel like you can't come back to me and talk to me. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether I move on or not. That's just me. That's how I operate as well. And I get a lot of shit for it. Yeah. 
because a lot of people feel very much so that I shouldn't have anything to do with my children's father, and I feel like that's wrong. I feel like at the end of the day, regardless of whatever happened in our relationship, we both operated from the level that we were on at that time. And I try my best to give grace and I try my best to have patience and to recognize that everything ain't about me. Sometimes people may project their hurt and their pain and their anger onto you and you may experience something because of it, but it really ain't all about you. And so therefore, I don't take as many things so personally when it comes to him. Mm -hmm. And so it's easier for me to overlook a lot of shit when I realize that this ain't even about me. So, and when it comes to, when it comes to like celebrity, uh, divorce settlements, do you believe that these are fair? I think fair is a dramatic word because obviously they're not fair. You're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars being given. But at the same time, I do feel like Something is owed to them. Yeah, I do feel like something is owed to them because there was just too much time in the relationship. Okay, so even in relationships, do you think that we need to normalize monetary disclosure in relationships? Very much so. I feel like if more people came into the relationship um, knowing each other's finances and also having individual plans for how they will acquire money, you'll be a lot better better off because I feel like a lot of times us women feel so entitled to a man's money simply because you knew we came into this with nothing you and you expected to take care of me and, and now to that say I'm the same asking thing the you, opposite way too because yes. some men be treating these women like whoa like they'll survive off of her forever and they want her to basically be his new mommy but mm-hmm. that's that's not what we're doing over here yeah I it's just too, feel old. Like too old for all that if stuff. i came into the situation not having anything and then you decided to take on the role of caring for me financially and especially when you start putting in more than seven years eight nine ten years you're talking about women who have been with these men since the 90s yes i absolutely feel like they are getting away with a whole lot of murder, but can you really blame them? Especially because, like I said, divorces and breakups are so petty, and you're charging folks for your pain and suffering. You're charging folks for all the bullshit that you just put me through. It's not even about just my regular everyday needs. Of course, we know that this woman does not need 20K for no phone bills and internet. <laughs> but all she's saying is that, man, you had me out here looking real wild, and now we fixing to have to divorce. So listen, run me my coins. Not the coins. Yes. Oh, man. Um, I don't know what to say. I just feel like some of this stuff can be settled like with just being civil and sitting down and talking to that person. But everybody can't be civil. Um, some things do need to be dragged through litigation and it sucks for both parties, but one of them is going to get what they want. <laughs> and more often than not, it's going to be the woman. So, um, okay, Stephen. they really saying. need to publicize, um, talking about divorces, celebrity divorces where the men get away with murder. Cause it happens. I believe so. Yeah. But I, that facial expression didn't make it look like. No, I, so. I I honestly believe, but I I do believe that most of that stuff is public record, though. It may not come, it may not come out into the media like that, but I believe like. But why? 
See what I'm saying? Why doesn't it come out into the media when men walk away with half of everything that their wife had? I have no answers for you, love. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the music's playing, so. Yeah, when the music <laughs> starts playing, that means we about to wrap it up and get up off here. Um, so you want to do any shout outs? You want to plug that page that you was talking about on Instagram? So everybody can go and yes. follow her? Her Instagram is surviving vegan surviving vegan mm-hmm. is it spelled any funky way nope it's just i'm surviving vegan i am surviving vegan. Mm-hmm. you want any shout outs come on i don't gotta, do shout outs you gotta do a shout out babe I shout out to myself that's what i'm gonna start doing every time hey that's <laughs> shout out to me hey hold it down <laughs> p.o.p hold it down yeah, shout out to Lauren for watching my hey. children while I do this hey. podcast. Lauren? Because hey. we are behind. I was supposed to be Oof. home by now. Oh, yikes. Yeah, we're kind of close so. today. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to shout out myself, too. You know, shout out to all the people that, you know, stick with me on Facebook. The people who, the 38 people who like my, my painting out of the 1,200 people that I have that are my friends. On Facebook, shout out to y'all. Um, I don't know. Shout out to everybody who who helped me get to where I am now. As always, shout out Camel the Protege for this amazing beat. Shout out Chantel the Shutter. Shout out to the Squad. Shout out to Blue Straw Entertainment. Um, but yeah, we are going to be moving towards putting out more. Uh, regular content regular content we're gonna normalize putting out regular content so more than likely mondays is gonna be that day so if you're not doing anything on monday make sure you check back in and um tune into our podcast um yeah peace love and all that good stuff make sure you uh like us on instagram it is the second firstborn podcast on Instagram, uh, I believe there's a couple in underscores in there, but I'm pretty sure if you start typing in, it'll pop up. Um, yeah, tune in next time. My birthday is this week, so wish a nigga a happy birthday. You know what I'm saying? On Wednesday, the big three four. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, yeah, man, y'all, y'all, y'all look both ways before you cross the street. Uh, don't drive without a license because that is crazy. I've been doing that for a little bit, but I'm getting that taken care of, so don't even worry about it. Um, if you have warrants, make sure you go turn yourself in because we don't need all that. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Over. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get up off here. All right, y'all be easy. Peace.